Welcome back to Do We Like Movies. I'm your host, Angel. And I'm your 50th. Or, you know. Ah, fucked up. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, okay, this is a special episode. We're taking a break from the normal routine where we are reviewing one movie, so... This is actually the 50th episode of this podcast. This also marks the 50th episode of me coming on as a special guest host. (laughs) That's what I was trying to say earlier, but I couldn't word it. (laughs) Words are hard. I'm Javi, by the way. (laughs) And, uh, yeah, I'm really excited to do this episode. Just to kind of take a break from the normal routine of us having to watch a movie a week. Uh, Especially since we've been watching a whole shit ton of James Bond lately. It's nice to do something different. (laughs) <laughs> yeah. And it's also nice to take a moment to appreciate the fact that we haven't immediately given up on this endeavor as we normally do on everything. We literally quit the idea of this podcast like several times before it even existed. Yeah, this podcast <laughs> has existed in several incarnations, usually in our heads. <laughs> this <laughs> podcast has existed in our heads since the year 2013. And here we are, bitches. <laughs> Fatter than ever. <laughs> So today, this is going to be dubbed our unpopular opinion, Fun Time Spectacular, <laughs> or Spooktacular. Um, yeah, what we decided to do as like a special kind of change in format is take essentially five movies. They don't have to be bad movies. They just have to be movies that we find are not talked about enough. Or certain aspects of them are like not spoken of in this way. Basically, like takes on movies that are that are not widely thought about or known. Mostly because they reside in the dark recesses of our brains. Yeah, they do. <laughs> and no one knows what goes on in there. Um, so I think the best way to kind of do this is uh, first you pick a movie and you out of your list you explain you know why it's an un, you know what the plot of that movie is in the most basic way possible uh what the reason why your opinion is unpopular is and uh yeah just we can just kind of go from there so right. i'll let you start all right so we're going to start with the i believe it was in 2013 uh indie i would i was going to say classic but it really isn't a classic but I'm going to start with this movie called The Way, Way Back. Andrew, have you ever seen it? No. You've never, you're telling me you've never seen a movie with the all-star cast of Tony Collette and, and Steve Carell? Wait, is it Steve Carell? Let me double check before I just start adding random people to this project. <laughs> I like how you non-prepared you are for this. Steve Carell's in it or fucking Sam motherfucking Rockwell's in it. And Maya Rudolph is also in it. Point is, is this movie about a very awkward uh, geeky kid who goes to, I think they go to like Maine or something, him and his family. His mom is, uh, has a new boyfriend. The boyfriend, played by Steve Carell, is a total fucking dick to him. And like the movie starts out and he tells him, hey, what do you view yourself? And, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, and then the kid's like, I don't know, a 6? He goes, really? I think you're a 3. And pretty much, like, he just starts berating this kid throughout the movie, right? So the movie's about this kid going to the summer uh, on the beach, making friends. Uh, He becomes friends with Sam Rockwell, and just kind of learning to actually, like, care about himself. And not being such a 
you know, awkward teenager. <laughs> so it's a, it's a really cool coming of age movie. Very smartly written. A lot of great characters. Sam Rockwell. I think the reason why I really like this movie was Sam Rockwell really stood out. He's like the lovable loser adult that works at a water park in the summer with all these kids. So in theory to these kids, he's like this cool adult. But like, he's a total fucking like lovable loser guy. <laughs> like he's just like, he's just like kind of getting by. He reminded me of myself in my early 20s <laughs> when I was working uh, in youth programs back in recreation, right? We both did this, by the way. Yeah, but I did it way cooler. <laughs> when I did it, it was rad. When you did it, it was sad and hurtful. All word? Yeah. They told me about it when you left. Everyone was like, man, fuck that guy. <laughs> but Maya Rudolph is is his manager, and she's like trying to help him get his shit together, but also being like, I need you to take more responsibility. And I'm like, damn... I am Latino Sam Rockwell. <laughs> but it's a great movie. Definitely a feel-good story. And, yeah, the reason why I don't think many people talk about it is because it's very... It's a super indie movie. Like, it's relatively unknown. Like, I think it only really did, like, like those film festival circuits. Um, which, I don't want to make it seem like... You gotta be pretentious to enjoy this movie. I think it's a fun movie to watch anyway. You're not it's not gonna be laugh out loud funny because it is like a coming of age story. Um but yeah, I mean there's definitely some parts in it that are worth checking out. Alright. Number one on my list is The Exorcist Three. Uh and part Two of the reason very different movies. <laughs> yeah. Well our list it's not like we put together such a strict format for it, right? Um but this movie I think the reason why I put it as an unpopular opinion is because unless you're someone who's taken the time to seek this movie out and watch it, specifically also gotten the Shout Factory uh, Blu-ray collector set, which includes the work print cut of it, mm -hmm. um, it's a really interesting movie uh, that was directed by William Peter Blatty. And when we talked about... We've already talked about the other two movies in this trilogy... Um, at some capacity in the podcast, but part of the reason why I really wanted to shout this one out specifically is I think The Exorcist 3 is so good that it's comparable to the first one. And I think the reason why most people don't talk about it is because it was essentially buried by, like... Number two? Yeah. <laughs> by the no, heretic? Yeah, the heretic was so bad that even though this movie came out all the way in the 90s, um, the... Okay, so, uh, let's start over. The Heretic was so bad that Warner Brothers wanted literally nothing to do with The Exorcist after that. That's how terrible it was. So they ended up selling the rights to it to uh, the studio of Morgan Creek Productions, mm -hmm. which has had a series of financial problems already anyway. And like the only two properties that they'd like had that's taken them forever to do anything with are actually The Exorcist. And they also own the Please rights... say Space Jam? No, they own the rights to the Tupac biopic that took decades to make and was actually pretty god-awful when it came Which out. Which was the All Eyes on Me one? Yeah. Was that the one we went to the movie theater to watch? <laughs> yes, it was. Oh, God, that one was bad. <laughs> How the fuck do you own The Exorcist and Tupac? <laughs> Just, anyway, it was, a, it, was a, it was a studio that's made a lot of poor decisions, and among them, uh, they uh, they decided to adapt a book that was actually written by William Peter Blatty as a response to how bad Exorcist Two: The Heretic was as well. And the purpose of his movie is that it uh, circled around the character of Lieutenant Kinnerman, 
who was the police officer in the or the detective from the original film mm-hmm. who was uh you know the goes film buff. To, yeah who goes to have tea with Chris McNeil and uh, the character of Father Dyer as well who was best friends with uh Damien Karras. and one of the things that I like about this movie is that it it very much despite the fact that it's recasted everything like the actor who played Kinderman in the original movie Lee J Cobb was obviously had passed away mm-hmm. so he was replaced by George C Scott and uh the guy who played the priest was replaced by an actor uh by the name of Ed Flanders um <laughs> I, continue <laughs> and well what one of the things that I really like is the idea is that they've as a way to keep Damien's memory alive they've continued this friendship for these past 15 years where they go to movies together and they have like a really kind of funny rapport with each other uh to the point where like you can tell they're so comfortable with each other because George C. Scott makes like jokes that you wouldn't normally make with a priest unless you were very close friends with them (laughs) and the purpose of the movie is that it was uh there's a killer by the name of Gemini Killer that was thought that was supposed to have uh i guess been uh he was executed on the electric chair at the exact same moment that Damien Karras was jumping out the window in 1973 at the end of The Exorcist. Mm -hmm. So Pazuzu, which they never refer to it as Pazuzu, they kind of make a reference that they're talking about the devil again. Mm -hmm. And the idea is that, let's just say the devil, in air quotes, uh, actually decides that the best way to get back at these priests is by taking the soul of the Gemini killer and putting it into the body of Damien Karras. So Damien Karras, who was thought to have died right after uh, the end of Exorcist 1, actually didn't die and was uh, spotted wandering uh, an area near Georgetown, uh, basically bleeding, and they didn't have any kind of identification information for him, so they bring him into this hospital's uh, psych ward, under the name Patient X. So they brought the actor back who played uh, who played Damien Karras. And the idea is that this serial killer has been uh, killing people in Georgetown. Uh, but the thing about it that's interesting is that it's not... It's not the body of Damien that's going up and doing it. It's actually being carried out by other people. So the idea is that this serial killer has the ability to possess others... And cause, like, murders to happen. I mean, is he causing them because he's doing them? <laughs> well, yeah, he is doing them by possession. He is possessing other people and, and killing them in the same way that the Gemini killer would kill them. So, in this film, Kinderman is the guy who was originally, uh, he was originally on the case of the Gemini killer, so he knows all the details about the case. It really sounds like you're just describing the plot to the Denzel Washington 94 thriller Fallen. <laughs> Where John Goodman becomes a bad guy. <laughs> but, uh, but, you know, it's just, it, to me, it's a really good movie, and it sounds a little wild the way I'm describing yeah, it. Yeah, right like, now. this is completely different than any other fucking. Oh, now I want to talk about Fallen, but like... <laughs> but yeah, it's, it's, it basically took the characters from The Exorcist and pulled them out of a, quote, a traditional horror movie and put them into more of a horror police procedural. Mm. Which is interesting. It's an interesting mix of, uh, of, of, of genres together. And I do know that this movie was taken away from William Blatty at the end 
uh, because they thought that he was too boring and he was using <laughs> too much dialogue in it. So they, Shut up, nerd! We want some action! Yeah, no, they literally add... So the, the so reason they why... they blew in 15 shots of explosions? <laughs> it's... 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 Not that far away. Okay, so what literally happened to this movie is uh, Morgan Creek and Fox wanted more action in it because they were like, this is an exorcist movie. There needs to be an exorcism in it. So the idea is that... Explosion? No, there is... They, they literally insert a character by the name of Father Morning, who is some sort of priest who did uh, exorcism in the Philippines before. And they 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 basically intersect him into the movie where he does not interact with almost any other character except Damien Karras for one scene, and that's when he comes in and tries to attempt an exorcism. And immediately murdered. Yeah, it, he is, and it makes absolutely no sense. He's trying to do an exorcism on Damien, and Damien like somehow mind like mind fucks him into like getting thrown against the wall it's like getting heart diddled and on the ceiling and then like all of it like to the point where uh, there's snakes on his face there is actual literal fire there and at some point this guy's entire skin is like torn off a la hellraiser style like it literally makes no sense and Are it's you one of the sure most you want to defend not this movie <laughs> It's why I say you need to watch the Blu-ray cut that has the actual, like, um... It's only one it takes Zack out Snyder no nerds. <laughs> but it's definitely worth the watch. I think whether you think you're going to like it or not, I recommend watching it. And I won't commandeer the podcast to continue talking about it. Next movie on your list. Oh, fuck. I just added so much schlock just because you described the plot to Exorcist 3. <laughs> like, as soon as you mentioned the priest being murdered, I was like, oh, remember that scene in Freddy vs. Jason when he burns I'm back on the back of a kid? I was like, oh, now I really want to add Freddy vs. Jason to my list. Which I might, but right now I am going to try and do- sell people on the Jesse Eisenberg uh, vehicle. American Ultra, baby! <laughs> so, have you ever seen American Ultra? I have not. Oh, fuck it. So, I, I haven't seen any of the movies on your list, I don't think. It's such a fun movie. Like, So, pretty much, Jesse Eisenberg plays this like stoner burnout in like small town West Virginia. And he's um, messing around with... Uh, who else is in it? Um, Topher Grace is in it, uh, Connie Brighton, our, everyone's favorite mom and slash wife from Friday Night Lights. Love her. Love it. Um, crap. Chris, uh, yeah, uh, K-Stew's in it, Kristen Stewart's in it. Um, Looks like Bill Pullman's in it, too. Bill Pullman is in it. He's like the director of the CIA. So pretty much, um... Jesse Eisenberg is a stoner burnout who then works at like a convenience store. He went to prison. Um, this is all before the movie starts. He went to prison and enters a CIA like um, sleeper agent program where he's conditioned to be like an asset for the for the CIA. Um, they end up letting him go. Uh, Connie Bryant plays like one of his handlers and finds out that they're killing off all assets from his program with this other program mm-hmm. like. Because he was from a program called Wise Guy, and I think they're fighting, um, they're fighting uh, this other group of sleeper agents called uh, Tough Guys. So the Tough Guys are going around killing the Wise Guys. They come after him. So they, she activates him, 
and you know using like his uh his um trigger phrase and he ends uh like defending himself and it's just such a stupid awesome action movie like there's explosions in it there's like random fight scenes with it which is uh, i mean they're actually pretty well choreographed john leguizamo plays uh he plays a pimp slash like drug dealer slash gun dealer i'm sorry who believes that the cia is trying to like read his mind through aluminum fillings or some shit stupid like it's very off the wall Topher Grace just plays a fucking more dickish version of I mean Eric Foreman from that 70s show <laughs> like it's 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 a very 2000 early 2010s movie but it's just it's just a fun movie to watch it's schlocky it's you know I it's one of those movies you just turn your brain off and enjoy it and it's not gonna make you a better person by watching it <laughs> You will not have any better understanding of the universe or human-to-human interactions. You're just going to watch stupid shit for the next hour and a half, and you're okay with it. One of my favorite parts is where he kills a guy with a spoon. I'm sorry. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and also Case Stu plays his, like, stoner girlfriend, and I was like, people really thought she was hot? Well, you know what's funny about her is I feel like, despite the fact that her and Robert Pattinson have been, like, poisoned by, like, Twilight, Twilight yeah. so early in their careers, they've surprisingly had, like... They bounced per- back. Since then, they've had careers that are very far away from Twilight. They've bounced back. Which She's- is interesting because it was, like, the third guy in Twilight was the one who was, like, people thought was going to be the big breakout star. You mean Shark Boy? Yeah, and it ended up not happening that way. Like, I mean, he he does, like, projects with Adam Sandler now, but it's like... <laughs> well, uh, there's that meme where, um... There's that meme of, uh... What's his name? From Lord of the Rings? Um... Elijah Wood. Like, he's, like, dressed as a hipster, driving a little lime scooter. <laughs> and then a picture... There's a picture of, uh... Daniel Radcliffe. And he's gonna be in that new shitty movie, which you know I'm gonna watch. Guns Akimbo. Where he has guns bolted to his hands. <laughs> and, like, the whole point is that you make one... You make one shitty franchise that is gonna be pop culture schlock... It's going to make you a shit zillion dollars where you, you're pretty much set for life. And then you can go on and do whatever fucking project you want to after. Like how fucking Daniel Radcliffe was in Swiss Army Man. <laughs> where he was a corpse and they used him to break open coconuts or some shit. I want to watch that movie. That looks like a funny movie too. But yeah, what's the next movie on your list? <laughs> okay. Picture this. Oh, no. <laughs> this is already <laughs> off to a shit start. Batman versus Superman. Shut the Dumb fuck up. Justice. <laughs> the ultimate cut. Is the ultimate cut just three hours of the warehouse fight scene? <laughs> no. Oh, fuck. It's longer and more complicated. And fatter. <laughs> more bat nipples. <laughs> and the reason why I would put this on my list is... Yes, I know Batman vs. Superman is not a great movie. I know that Justice League is an Go awful on. movie. <laughs> I know these movies are not good. Duh. I know they're not good. That's why it's our unpopular opinion episode. <laughs> but there are scenes in the ultimate cut and like the way that they are arranged that just feels like it makes more sense. And I think one of the things that Batman vs. Superman suffers from, aside from a lot of other things... <laughs> 
is the fact that the movie had to be cut down to such a feature length um, that it removed key, like, well, not key subplot, but it removed interesting subplots in it. Uh, to the point where, like, this version of the film actually uses, actually spends a ton of time on the subplot of the Batman, you know, like, where he uses, like, the cattle prod to basically, like, you know, uh, Sear a symbol onto like a bad guy's like arm and stuff like that. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, that. in the in the theatrical cut, that is such a throwaway line. But if you watch the ultimate cut of Batman v Superman, it's actually there's actually a real subplot around it, and one of the informants that Clark Kent is looking for while he's investigating the Batman, uh, while he's investigating Batman, he actually runs across the wife of a guy who's in prison. Who has been, uh, you know, who has branded. the bat bat symbol uh, branded on him, and they actually tell you that when you were put in prison, having the bat symbol branded on you is essentially a death sentence. So uh, there is a scene at some point in the movie of this guy getting shanked on the yard in prison. And <laughs> it is, I can't explain it. There are like moments. Where it feels grimmer than, like, any other Batman movie you've ever seen. <laughs> so, you like this movie because you see someone get shivved? <laughs> That's why you're defending this movie? No, it just feels like, it, to me, I feel like it just had more room to breathe and the story just makes a little bit more sense. Honestly, if I had six hours to tell a story, <laughs> I would make the greatest movie ever. And I would say, you know, do I think, do I expect everyone to go out and watch this? Probably not. But it is something that it changed the way I looked at this movie. Um, and I have to admit, ever since I saw the Ultimate Cut, I never will go back to the theatrical cut ever again. Mm -hmm. I will only watch this movie when I have three hours to kill to watch the, in, in, its entirely, in its entirety. And I think the other thing, too, is... Um, Despite the fact that the movie is now non-canon and Rob, the Robert Pattinson, Matt Reeves Batman movie is... I'm looking forward to it and I'm glad they're going in a different direction. I hope it's good. Um, I did love what they did with Wonder Woman in this. And Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman is so good in that movie that obviously she is still in this Wonder DC Woman? extended <laughs> universe and Wonder Woman. So, um, yeah, I, I'm defending it, probably not. But I do think the ultimate cut is better. I do think it's got more interesting stories, uh, subplots in it. So watch it if you'd like. If not, suck a dick. <laughs> I'm gonna fuck, fuck y'all. All right, I'm gonna. <laughs> I'm going to throw my third movie from my list. And it's not, I'm a cheat because it's not really a movie. It's a, an entire fucking film franchise that no one knows about, especially Angel. But I will not talk about the From Dust Till Dawn franchise. <laughs> <laughs> the what? <laughs> yeah, baby. So, what do you know about From Dust Till Dawn? I know that I love the movie, and I know that, uh,. Salma Hayek, like, made me go through early puberty when I watched that film. She made you feel things. <laughs> but I, and I also just, I mean, Tw Quentin Tarantino, it's the first time that I saw him as an actor because I didn't see Pulp Fiction until years later. Uh, I, I actually like it. And, oh. I, and I saw it just three years ago, like, uh -huh. recently again. 
and I didn't realize how much I really liked it. Um, it's a fun, yeah. schlocky movie. It is really fun, and I think it's it's one of those movies that probably should be talked about more. And I think that Rodriguez obviously isn't as mainstream or as uh, gets as much Oscar love as Tarantino does these days. No, because Tarantino actually makes artsy films yeah. to a certain extent. <laughs> <laughs> and Robert Rodriguez has really just gone all in on telling really violent stories using the Mexico as a backdrop. Yes. So. Now, uh, what if I told you you're a stupid bitch because there's an entire second and third movie as well as a series that ran on the El Rey Network? Okay, but would I want to go any further? Oh, yes, you fucking do. All right. Do any of the characters from the original film come back in the sequels? Razor Charlie. Alright. The bartender from from Dust Till Dawn One. Played by Danny Trejo. Alright. Well And I'm... that's it. So the second movie stars Robert Patrick who joins a par- who joins No, shut up. He joins a, uh, a a group of bank robbers that are going to commit a heist in a border town. And be- so before they go celebrate... I like heist movies. Yeah, and so it's supposed to be a heist movie, which then turns into a salt movie, like Assault on Precinct 13, where they end up... Uh, they go to this bar, which happens to be the Titty Twister <laughs> from the first movie. Does Cheech Marin also come back? No, he doesn't, sadly. <laughs> But what ends up happening was that uh, a bunch of these guys have sex with the vampire chicks, <laughs> who then become vampires. <laughs> who then? Catch, oh yeah, a bunch of the guys go in and they have sex with the vampire chicks. I'm sorry. Yes, that's not the most wild part of this movie. <laughs> so then when they go rob this bank, man, they <laughs> talked about guys getting shipped in prison. Man, that's fucking dark. Here's a bunch of guys fucking vampire girls. There's just <laughs> two different kinds of people in this world. <laughs> so when they they go and they rob this bank and they get attacked by like the these federales as well as like the te- like the Texas Rangers. And then these guys, they start turning into vampires, and they start killing everybody. <laughs> so it ends in the showdown between Robert Patrick, this Mexican dude, and a sheriff against like the rest of the vampires, very much like the like the like the first from Dust Till Dawn. But it's just hilarious because as like Robert Patrick gets him arrested, they throw him in the back of a squad car, and he goes, "Okay, as long as we survive till morning." They're like, we'll be fine. <laughs> As like daybreak comes, it kills like two vampires, and then the moon gets in the way of the sun, and it turns out it's the first solar eclipse in a hundred years. And I'm like, this is such a lazy writing. I fucking love it. And this is only the second one. This is only the second one. The third one is they go back in time. <laughs> oh, 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 no. And it's the first incarnation of the uh, of the uh, titty twister where it's actually a saloon in Mexico and these <laughs> <laughs> and these banditos <laughs> these banditos kidnap Ambrose Pierce, the old Western writer. <laughs> no fucking way. <laughs> Ambrose Beers is a name that I did not think would be, would be mentioned on this podcast. Who is played by Michael Park? <laughs> they have to fight their way out from being sacrificed by the weird serpent vampire thing. 
and my favorite scene is with the lead bandito. I forgot what his name was, but he like he has um he has that boot knife from uh from uh Wild Wild West. Ah oh, fuck I should have put Question Why the fuck is this movie called The Hangman's Daughter? <laughs> Because they kidnapped the hangman's daughter. <laughs> I never said these movies make sense. <laughs> but my favorite part is the lead bandito has this knife on his boot. And when he kicks a, a vampire in the balls, like, they're pronged. So he, like, pulls out the testicles. It's so stupid. <laughs> oh, my God. And then, yeah, there's this, there, there's, there was, like I told you, there was a series on the El Rey Network. It, uh, I think it made it, like, two seasons. <laughs> I don't think there's gonna be a third. And what was the series about? <laughs> Literally everything I just talked about. <laughs> it just it does not make any more sense. I think Wilmer Valderrama's in it. Nice. But essentially it's just more exploring like where the, the universe. Yeah, like where the snake vampires came from. Gotcha. Alright, well <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, I no. guess I guess it's back to me. Yeah, again. back to you. What is this, your third movie? <laughs> yeah, this is the third movie, and this one is kind of an unpopular opinion because, uh, okay, we've talked about this before on the podcast, I do like 80s teen movies, uh, chief among them being I Love the Breakfast Club, I still think it's a wonderfully awesome movie about, like, just the anxieties of growing up and turning into your parents. <laughs> the other one is, uh, what's it called, the... Kind of a really popular movie for him, uh, for John Hughes, and also just a movie that I rewatch a lot, um, Pretty in Pink. And I think uh, one of the things about Pretty in Pink, you know, it's the Molly Ringwald movie where she's uh, being courted by, <laughs> uh, or she's being courted by two guys, Ducky, who's the nerd, right? Played, Is that Anthony Michael Hall? No, he's played by John Cryer. Oh, what? Yeah, who like, who I always remember as Ducky from... Pretty in pink, but now, like, I, recently on Crisis on Infinite Earths on CW, he's Lex Luthor now. <laughs> it's come a long way. Oh, yeah, he was also in Superman before, though, when he was in The Quest for Peace. He was Lex Luthor's nephew, who basically becomes, like, Superman's sidekick in that movie, kind of. But, like, also Lex Luthor's, like, stupid, incompetent sidekick as well. Why did you watch The Quest for Peace? <laughs> I never watched The Quest for Peace ever since I was a kid. <laughs> I'm just telling you he's in it. <laughs> did you know this as a kid? No. Were you like, that's John Cryer who's <laughs> going to be in Pretty and Pink in a couple years? <laughs> no. I found that out as a like an older person now, but like only because he was in the CW series. Oh, uh, you're like, why is this guy important? Yeah, but it's actually it's it's actually a really good movie. Um What's it called? Uh, it's it really stars Molly Ringwald, right? And it's mm -hmm. her and it's her kind of like featured vehicle where she's like the kind of poor girl, the girl on the poor side of town, who ends up like finally getting a date with the kind of rich kid played by Andrew McCarthy. His name is Blaine, mm. and Blaine's like ridiculously dickish best friend played by James Spader. Oh yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. okay. And young James Spader is like. So, he's got the most punchable face you've ever seen in your entire life. <laughs> you will punch the shit out that face. <laughs> but I also just love James Spader because, obviously, like, now, as an older person, his work on The Office, <laughs> like, all the other stuff that he does. But uh, it's a really good movie, and what, I think one of the sticking points that a lot of people had with that film is that, and, and I'm leading into the movie that I'm picked 
Pretty in Pink is not the movie I picked for this. Jesus Christ, I thought you did pick Pretty in Pink. No. <laughs> what the but, fuck? Okay, but this is the reason why I bring that up. Molly Ringwald ends up picking Andrew McCarthy's character, and she ends up leaving the nerd who was her best friend, like, basically to go fuck himself. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people kind of thought that that was, like... There, there was people who followed his work who thought it was a little bit anticlimactic. And to the point where even John Hughes kind of... I think even he kind of thought that it was uh, not something that he wanted to... Like, I, I'm sure if he would have done... If he could have done it different, he might have wanted to do it different. I think he's even kind of admitted much uh, mm-hmm. later in, in life. But the movie that he ends up making after Pretty in Pink is kind of the same movie... But he's flipped the genders, and it actually, uh, so the movie I'm picking for my unpopular opinion number three... Can't Buy Me Love? Some Kind of Wonderful. Oh, same shit. Can't Buy Me Love is not a John Hughes movie, same even shit. though it's a really good movie that I like. <laughs> but, um, yeah, this movie stars uh, Eric Stoltz, who I think most people <laughs> would would remember as, like, the guy in Pulp Fiction with the long hair who sells heroin to John Travolta's character. Or some people might remember him from uh, that Rocky... Was he, was he in Mask or Face or whatever where he had the Rocky Dennis kid with the weird face? Yes, yes. <laughs> That's was, the other way to remember him. That was him. And then most importantly I guess is, sadly, I think one of the things that derailed his career was that he was the original Marty McFly in Back to the Future. And oh, he like but actually, he was too tall, right? No, he it's just well they've had lots of reasons why like it didn't work out. But there's if you go oh, on YouTube, no. I was if, thinking of the girl that originally was supposed to play his girlfriend, but she was taller than Michael J. Fox. Like, <laughs> yeah, no. that's his name. Well, anyway, so Eric Stoltz, uh, you know, did two weeks of filming for Back to the Future, and then they ended up recasting him with uh, Michael J. Fox. Oh. Who's the guy that they all wanted in the first place anyway? Mm-hmm. And I poor Eric Stoltz. Oh, poor Eric Stoltz. I feel bad. <laughs> but on the bright side, he is the star of this movie. Nice. <laughs> and um, the other person who actually stars with him, the girl that he's pining after, uh, who is the rich girl, is uh, played by uh, Leah Thompson. So we do have a lot of Back to the Future. Uh, <laughs> oh of, yeah, yeah, yeah. We have a lot of Back to the Future crossover happening here, but. Um, but the girl that he's that he is best friends with, who's kind of like the tomboy, you know, you know his his friend for his entire life, is played by Mary Stewart Masterson. Mm-hmm. Um, and they kind of, <laughs> I think the part that I'm not crazy about is they kind of like purposely they put her in guys' clothes. They make her very unsexual to him, period. Mm-hmm. And then they also kind of treat her like if she is a object like it no like if she's too butch for him to be interested in her but they do what it was the 80s it's a different time well no what what i think what this movie does that i that i think a lot of people who maybe didn't like the ending of pretty in pink would appreciate is that this movie is all about oh elias kateas is in this too as the bully oh shit yeah (laughs) and uh but the bully who starts off as an adversary to eric stoltz character but actually ends up being like his his uh, unlikely ally by the end. Oh, so kind of like Stranger Things season one. Yeah, they end up like basically becoming friends, and he ends up like Steve he ends up, and John. He ends up beating up rich kids for him. Oh fuck yeah! <laughs> Eat the rich. It's really good. I recommend us watching that at some point and doing an entire show on it because I actually 
I think it's it's sneaky underrated one of the best John Hughes movies. You're really hyping it up, and if I hate it, it's going to make a good episode, so let's do it. <laughs> All right. Um, but yeah, they, he ends up picking uh, Mary Stewart Masterson's character over Leia Thompson in a way that doesn't that doesn't shit all over Leia Thompson's character. So mm-hmm. it is it is feels like the best the ending to one of his films, uh, and it kind of course corrects that stuff for me. Uh, so definitely recommend watching it. Okay. So what is this number four? This is number four for you, yes. Okay, so number four, I'm going to take a... I, I've been taking movies that I shouldn't like and have been liking. And I'm actually going to take a movie I should like and I don't really... I, I didn't really know how to feel about it for All the right. longest time. So, again, this is the unpopular opinion spooktacular. <laughs> and I'm going to actually talk about The Irishman. All right. And it was really funny because the list, the the list I told you about the, at the beginning of today has already changed like seven times, <laughs> <laughs> including as we've been recording. But like, I was really thinking about it, right? And I was like, okay, I want to, I want to like keep stuff that's relevant. And I'm like, I want to talk about the Irishman. Okay, Martin Scorsese's first direct to Netflix movie. It's an epic that follows a gangster played by Robert De Niro. I forget what the guy's name is. I, I, I'm very unprepared for this on account of I just made this decision. Um, but pretty much it follows his career from his youth all the way to his... Through his, his youth, through his adulthood, into him pretty much becoming a senior citizen, right? Mm. And it covers everything pretty much from the 50s until now. And... It's such an like long story, and yeah, like when you watch, when you want, when we watch mob movies, specifically you, Mister, I love the Cosa Nostra or whatever. You you know that these movies have a tendency of you know some spanning over years. Yes, which is a it's a trope that The Godfather kicks off, and Goodfellas does it. I think what's it called? Um, was it Once Upon a Time in America? No. Once Upon a Time in America is probably the like worst offender of this. Because yeah, that movie that's is the one nearly I was four of. hours long. It was like the one time that is Sergio that Leone made a uh, made a mob movie. Yeah. Um, and it was uh, starring James Wood and uh, Robert De Niro. Okay, I want to make sure I was thinking of the right movie. Then. <laughs> oh, you're talking the Chad. You're talking about Chaz Pilentieri. Right? Yeah, that's uh, that's a Bronx Tale. That's the one I was thinking, which of. was directed by De Niro. No, 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 well, no, that one doesn't really do that as much as Once Upon no. a Time in America. But you know, there's a lot of these movies that span over an entire character's lifetime, and it automatically makes for a long movie. Fucking Irishman has a, almost three and a half hour runtime, like. And, I still haven't watched it, by the way. Yeah, and that's why it's, like, I hope I don't, like, taint your opinion of it, but the thing is... I've heard that it's not as impressive as people think it is. Like, it feels like Martin Scorsese's trying to hit his greatest hits. And it feels like all these actors are all, like, because it's got a shit ton of good actors, It you know? feels like, it It probably feels like Scorsese's version of the Spielberg came back to direct another movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it's like it's like this was something that was so great at a moment in time, and now you're coming back to it, and it's like, I really didn't want this from you again. It's very it's a by the numbers mob movie. I and think the, the thing other is, thing that's kind of tainted it too is how like <laughs> Scorsese is kind of duped all over comic book films, so it's kind of like you know it's 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 a little bit more in vogue to kind of trash his. Uh, 
his work anyway. Well, no, I mean, outside of that, outside of his opinions on, like, comic book movies, it's just very self-indulgent. It's very much, it's like, let's celebrate everything I've done in the past. And the problem is that, yeah, you have done a lot of amazing scenes in the past, but you've done them better. I feel like he's been doing this since The Departed. Like, the since The Departed, it's like, yeah, it's like, Shutter Island was okay. Wolf of Wall Street was surprisingly... That was a fantastic I think, film. I think, I think, yeah, it, Wolf of Wall Street is always going to stand out as, like, the later day Scorsese great film, mm-hmm. because it's like, it, it was, it dared to be different enough, like his earlier work, right? Because mm-hmm. his earlier work, he wasn't just making mob movies. Oh, ta- yeah, Taxi, yeah, Taxi Driver, Driver and Serpico, you had... Serpico? Wait, did you do Serpico? No. It was Taxi Driver and Raging Bull is what you're thinking about. Oh, it is Raging Bull. Raging Bull is a boxing film. Serpico is is the Al Pacino cop movie from the 70s. Oh, Serpico. Serpico. Neither here nor there. (laughs) I still want to watch it. Yeah, no, it is... is I was thinking of Raging Bull, though, my bad. But yeah, like... um, Yeah, it's just one of those movies that you know he's done better before. And it's like, let's just go back to that. It's like, honestly, if I really wanted to go back to it... Like, I'd rather watch Goodfellas. Yeah. You know, like, um, I mean, it is interesting. It does deposit quite a few, in, like, interesting conspiracy theories that are have been widely discussed, whether it's that the mob was secretly behind John F. Kennedy's assassination, assassination um, that obviously the mob was behind the murder and disappearance of uh, Jimmy Hoffa, and... You know, I, I think it really it really does paint an interesting picture. Like, the, the performances are great. Like, you know, Joe Pesci, especially when he's older. Uh, Robert De Niro when he's an older dude. It, I saw a, like, a featurette on just, like, how ridiculous the special effects work was for it. Oh because they've essentially kind they of... They de-age Robert De Niro, and it looks so gross. Well, it looks so, like, well, unsettling. I think, I think, I think what, what will make me better prepared to not hate that part of it... Is that the guys who did the special effects, they interviewed them, and their, like, intent specifically was not to focus on making De Niro look the way he looked when he was younger and Pacino, but more like what those characters, what, based on how those characters looked, what those characters would have looked like when they were younger. Well, they, I think, I think the uh, weird, I, there's no way to avoid that up. Yeah. <laughs> because. You're going to get an uncanny, an uncanny valley effect no matter what you do. No matter what, they fuck that one up because <laughs> it was creepy as shit. Well, get ready for CGI James Dean because that movie is still in the works. Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I mean, it's definitely worth checking out just because it's uh, it's on fucking Netflix. It's damn near free if you're not, you know, if you're not really paying attention to your Netflix account. <laughs> so I, I I really do recommend people go watch it, form their own opinions. It's just not for me. Okay. All right. Number four on Dude. my list is a movie that people like, and it's a movie that I do like as an adult, but. As a kid. Alright. E.T. the Extraterrestrial. <laughs> the 1982 movie directed by Steven Spielberg. Which is a movie that was so beloved by kids in the 80s. And just people who were around in the 80s. That in 1980. In the 83 Oscars. E.T. was one of the movies that was nominated for Best Picture. Mm-hmm. And they ended up losing that to Gandhi. And the director Fuck of you, Ben Kingsley. Well, the director, the director of of Gandhi. Actually, I don't know why this is so weird. All this crazy overlap. But the director of Gandhi uh, is Richard Attenborough, who most people will remember as John Hammond in Jurassic Park. 
Mm. And he, he, the funny thing is, you know, aside from his role in Jurassic Park, he's mainly a filmmaker. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, Gandhi was his maybe his best recognized work that he's done behind the camera. And I think one of the reasons why he and Spielberg worked together uh, afterwards is because when he did his acceptance speech, he talked about how the movie that should have deserved the honor uh, would have been E.T. because it was such an it was such an engrossing and emotional movie. Fuck them both. The thing came out that same year, and it should have won an Oscar, but it didn't, so fuck them. But, you know, um, so, E.T. the Extraterrestrial, a generation of people love that movie. My parents bought it for me when I was four year, or five years old. And they're like, Angel's gonna it. love this. Yeah, I unboxed it for my birthday. I was like, this is great. Let's watch this. Pop that movie in at some point while I was in kindergarten, and the entire first, like, the first section of that movie where a- Elliot is discovering the alien, I was just like... It plays like a horror movie. It plays like a goddamn horror movie, <laughs> and the worst part was the scene where, um, there's a couple... The first one is the scene where Elliot first sees E.T., which is, like, my introduction to jump scares for my life. It, where E.T. is, like, behind the cornfield and his, like, his horrifying chainsaw scream, like, happens. <laughs> and Elliot has to run back to his backyard. I was like, oh my fucking god. And I thought, maybe I'll give this a chance. And then I tried, but then there's the night after he first sees him in the cornfield where he's trying to lure him in with the Reese's Pieces. Yeah. And Elliot's just, like, sitting in the back, staring at the light of the tool shed that's on, and it's, like, misty and foggy in the middle of God knows wherever the fuck they are. And um, then you see the silhouette of E.T., like, standing in the tool shed, like, obscured by shadow. And I swear to fucking Christ... That most of the like nightmares that I had for the first ten years of my life literally all come from the first fifteen minutes of ET. Angel stared into the void and screamed, <laughs> for the void could not return his calls. <laughs> well, the best part about it is that very recently, like, and I'm talking like a week or two ago, there was a trending topic on Twitter where uh, people were sharing what the scariest moments that they've ever seen in a movie that was, like, traumatizing to them were. And I discovered that I'm not alone. (laughs) There is an entire section of the internet that agrees with me that E.T. is one of the fucking most terrifying movies of all time. You're like, I will be your voice. (laughs) I will champion your cause. (laughs) Uh, That said, you know, as an older person, when I got into middle school and high school, I watched it again, and I fell in love with it. And, you know, now I think it really is one of the better movies that I've ever seen. And I like it uh, a lot. I love it. But, yeah, it's like, it's one of those things where I can't explain why, but it's just, you you see something at, like, such an impressionable age Mm -hmm. that you just never get over it. Yeah. And there's such a, like, deep, like, instinctual response to when you see it, and that's that's what that gave to me. And and it's funny, because I was someone who watched The Exorcist, and I watched, like, actual, like, real horror movies, but nothing on Earth ever scared me the way E.T. <laughs> scared me. Honestly, you guys, just go watch Mac and Me instead. <laughs> um, Mac and Me is such a fucking better movie. But yeah, it's a movie, it's a movie about an alien that comes to Earth, befriends a, I think, 10 or 11-year-old boy. You know, a boy on the on the precipice of pubescence. Wait, E.T. or 
Elliot. Oh, okay. Just making sure we're not talking about Mac and me. <laughs> and they're both, uh, and they're both kind of like psychically linked to each other. Um, I guess e- there's there could be all sorts of theories as to why ET gets sick, but they both get sick together. And the government is like chasing down this alien, trying to find them while he's like learning all these Earth things from these kids. Mm-hmm. And essentially, the kids are teaching him like all these things about Earth the way that someone who obviously like was a kid would explain it to someone Mm -hmm. like they explained like star wars characters to them they drink cokes they like you know made get fed him reese's pieces it was like that's probably what made him sick it was like what an 80s kid like would would explain it's how an 80s kid would explain the world to someone from another planet Mm -hmm. and um the other scene of this that actually does not involve well that's not et centric that fucking wrecked my life was when all the fucking NASA guys like show up at Elliot's house coming to kidnap E.T. Yeah, because the government would never separate children from their parents or oh. families. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah, that that that's not the type of fucking state of capitalism that we're currently in where, you know, the fucking... <laughs> Yeah, where there's I, a private police force going around well, separating that's the thing. families. As a child, the alien was the most frightening part of ET. As an adult, the government is <laughs> the government. <laughs> um, but yeah, definitely a recommendable movie. Um, do not, do not be surprised if you try to introduce it to your young children, and, and they'll be just as scarred for life as I am. And they just stare into the void. <laughs> Miss Congeniality! Oh! Nah, I'm just playing. I don't know. I have it on my list, but now I have to decide. Because I still have Mimic. I have Rush Hour 1. <laughs> I'm sorry. I have Freddy vs. Jason. Who the fuck wants to talk about Mimic? Mimic is butt-ass awful. Oh, did you just make my decision for me? <laughs> try to fucking... You don't like no, cockroaches that turn into humans? You well, do you not like that part that freaks you out where like they open the oven and the, the the old couple's heads are in there? Wait, was that mimic? Am I thinking of another movie? I haven't seen mimic in years, but <laughs> what the fuck are you <laughs> because it popped up on my Hulu list. And I was like, oh, I kind of want to rewatch this movie. <laughs> Maybe you should think something else. I'll give you an out, and I won't edit this out. <laughs> no, okay, finally. All right, fine. I'm going with Freddy versus Jason. <laughs> Excellent. Oh, you guys want to talk about schlocky horror fests? Fucking Freddy vs. Jason is the definition of it. What would be an unpopular opinion about this? Because this movie is widely regarded by fans of both series, Nightmare on Elm Street and Friday the 13th, as one of the best in each Oh no, then there's, I guess the unpopular opinion of it is that it should have gotten a sequel worth Hellraiser. Well, that's... Well, no, was it? There, there was a sequel that was planned. Yeah, and it was supposed to have uh, Pinhead. No. Yes. No. Yes. No. Shut up. The actual sequel to that movie that made it into the production phase that never got completed and is considered one of those Hollywood what ifs. Oh, are you talking about Evil Dead? How the Evil Dead was supposed to be in it, and Ash yeah, was supposed to Freddy fight. Freddy versus yeah. Jason versus Ash. That's it. Well, no, that's a comic Pinhead, book. Yeah, but Pinhead was the, the Pinhead project was. 
Pinhead versus Michael Myers. No, the original ending, the original scripted ending of Freddy versus Jason was that after they kill each other on Earth, they get dragged down to hell where they fight in this gladiatorial arena in front of a bunch of demons. Why are you looking at me like that? I'm not making this up. But if they're down in hell, why would Cenobites be there? So that's the thing. They're about to fight in like this this climactic battle for the rest of forever. And then these, like, chains rip them apart and, like, pull them apart from fighting. And Hellraiser's like, now boys, play nice. He's talking Pinhead. Hellraiser Shut is not a character. Shut <laughs> up, Hellraiser fuck. is the title of the film. Shut your goddamn mouth. <laughs> I wanted that. I wanted Pinhead. I wanted Hellraiser to kill everyone. <laughs> Oh my god, Hellraiser is here to fuck you bitches up. No, he's just here to fuck. <laughs> oh my god. I wanted Pinhead, Hellraiser, Hellpin, Razorhead. My name is Hellraiser and I'm here to fuck. My, I just watched Kill Bill again too. My name is Buck and I'm here to fuck. <laughs> Oh my god, but yeah, so that was the or the original proposed ending, but then, you know, fucking Dimension Films was like, I don't know if we can afford the rights to everybody, <laughs> and I mean, that's my what if, but it's just such a fucking fun movie. Also, one of the things is that it was originally supposed to have uh, Jan Son and Bob in it. Nice. So Jason Mewes was supposed to play that, uh, the stoner guy. Uh, who they ended up... That's why in, at the end of the movie, he just looks like he's dressed like Jay mm -hmm. from Jay and Silent Bob. Um, you know, I think it, it it's the greatest hits of an entire franchise. Well, an entire two franchises brought together. You got these horror movie icons. They duke it out. Like, it's like, it's not meant to be anything other than just schlock, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think people just fucking love it. Including myself. So, yep, that's my fifth movie. Gotcha. Alright, so number five on my list. <laughs> Next Friday. Gone with the wind. <laughs> it is next Friday. It is the sequel to Friday. Okay, so Friday has kind of experienced <laughs> Friday has experienced a renaissance now, right? Because it's on TV like every night. Friday on after channels. next is technically a like a Christmas movie, so that's all yeah. every December. And I think the funny, the reason why I put this movie on my list is because we've actually made references to this movie during a sequel, and I actually would argue that Next Friday is one of the best sequels of all time. Oh, <laughs> shut the fuck up. And the reason why is because it is a movie that, like, knows what it's about, it knows what it's about to tell, like, it knows that it's not gonna be the kind of grittier more independent Friday film from the original, right? Like they know they got money now. They Yeah, it's they know it's not that indie movie from the mid-90s and the characters have to change a little bit. Obviously, Chris Tucker wasn't able to come back and never ends up coming back to the series. But I think the movie, what it does, is it ends up turning Debo from, like, you know, the obstacle for Craig in the original film into essentially a supervillain <laughs> and, and the reason why I say that is because this movie tells you from the very beginning that it's going to be a lot more cartoonish than the original was. And the best way that it does that is after Craig talks about, you know, beating Debo in the first film, 
he immediately talks about Debo's supposed to, he's like, I hear Debo's gonna be getting out today. And you, like, assume that Debo's gonna be, like, released from prison? <laughs> but instead, they smash cut to the jail that he's in. <laughs> Devo and obviously Tiny Lister and Sticky Fingers are, they are escaping the jail by climbing down a bunch of tied up bed sheets. <laughs> the only thing would have been better is he just like punches a hole in the wall and it's in the shape of their body. And, and the funny thing too is they're both in orange jumpsuits. And Debo and Sticky Fingers are both, like, chained to each other by their legs. So, so stupid. So, the only thing I could literally picture is that they were, like, in jail, like, picking rocks. Like, if it was some sort of Great Depression era, like, (laughs) (laughs) like jail scene. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, both of them are, they are essentially the guys who are trying to chase Craig down. And the way that they do that is... I guess, uh, and obviously R.I.P. John Witherspoon, who has passed away as Craig's dad. And I think, I made the joke on Twitter once uh, where somebody was talking about how Jim's dad for American Pie was like, (laughs) he always just showed up to dispense incredible wisdom. And like, he's one of the better like movie dads you've ever seen in your life. And I talked about how I'd love to see like a crossover movie between Jim's dad and Craig's dad. <laughs> oh man! <laughs> but uh, people yeah. aren't ready for this shit. <laughs> but yeah, Craig's dad tries to get him out of uh, you know out of South Central, and they end up moving to his Rancho Cucamonga <laughs> to his uncle's house in Rancho Cucamonga, where you're. It's actually the first time I saw Mike Epps, and I watched this movie like a week ago as well. Mm-hmm. And Mike Epps is so freaking young. In this. He is. <laughs> um, um, it's just, it's just again, it's a movie that's very quick. Jacob Vargas is in it too. That's easy to forget uh, if you hadn't watched it in a while. Um, it's got so many quotable lines from it. <laughs> Half our fucking humor is because of the next Friday film. <laughs> yeah, like I, countless times you've heard "No more locked doors." No more locked doors. <laughs> I'm a domestic warrior. Yeah. <laughs> Jacob Vargas in a thong. <laughs> oh yeah, write me like sea biscuit. <laughs> hey, don't hey, don't stay my dickies, fool. <laughs> and one of the actually one of the sadder footnotes in it is that the character who plays Roach, uh, who oh, yeah, his best yeah. friend. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually uh, recognize that actor from from an earlier movie uh, that he did in the '90s called Kids. Oh yeah, yeah, with Rosario Dawson yes. and like addressing. Sexual, like, I guess, awakening of kids. Yeah, it's in, like the Bronx. It's, or it's really grim. Yeah, it's uh. a very, it's a very grim movie. Uh, the actor's name is Justin Pierce, mm-hmm. and uh, he played the best friend in Kids. Uh, <laughs> the best part to me, like, I was watching it the other day, and I wanted to text you about it. <laughs> when, Wait, you were watching Kids and you were laughing? No, I was watching Dick. Next Friend. <laughs> oh, okay, <laughs> just checking. And it's when it's when Day like uh, tell, introduces uh, Roach to Craig, and he goes, he goes, "Hey, Craig, here's my white slave Roach." <laughs> <laughs> And of course, we also had Clifton Powell as Pinky in that movie. Oh, and, my God. And the best part about it, too, that I had totally forgotten about until I watched it a few weeks ago, is when they introduced Pinky, like, in his, coming out of his pink limousine, yeah. the song that's playing in the background while he's, like, strutting, drinking cognac, is Fame by David Bowie. Holy shit. <laughs> and I can never hear that song ever without again thinking. without thinking about Pinky. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> One of my personal favorite scenes from that movie is when Baby D comes to <laughs> comes to beat the shit out of Day Day. <laughs> then he goes, "What? Don't you want a Twinkie? I got, I got some Hostess cakes for you." <laughs> no, well, like when you know, I mean, we can talk about this. We could literally do episodes on this. Movie. I know for real, but yeah, it's definitely a movie that I actually think is a great sequel because it's so outlandish and ridiculous. But because it tells you at the very beginning that it's essentially a cartoon now, <laughs> because the other thing too, while all of this is happening with Craig. Debo is actually traveling to Rancho Cucamonga to go fight uh, Craig by like by stowing away in the dog catcher van oh that John Witherspoon is driving. <laughs> and uh, at that's the where end, hot sauce on my burrito, baby. Came from. <laughs> so it's yeah, oh it's definitely God. worth the watch if you haven't. I can't imagine that anyone who listens to this show hasn't seen it yet. But in case you haven't. Discover it. You know, everyone remembers Friday. Uh, it's now revered as one of the greatest, like, hood movies of all time. Mm. I would argue that next Friday is just as good and not It's nearly... just as good for different reasons. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Completely different reasons. All right. And that is my top five list. Okay. This was fun. You know, we, I think we got to talk about a lot of movies um, that we don't normally get to talk to. Hopefully... Or talk about, I mean, and hopefully we, you know, there we there's enough, there's enough there that people are going to willing to to check them out and see if they like them themselves, you know. Yeah, and honestly, I wouldn't take it off the table that we end up doing some individual episodes on some of these movies. Like, if you hear any of the movies that we've talked about here and you'd like a full episode on it, mm-hmm. let us know because I think that specifically some of the more ridiculous entries. I think would probably make for good conversation. Oh, I can't wait to do From Dust Till Dawn oh, 3, Hangman's Daughter. Oh, no. <laughs> James Bond and the Dust Till Dawn series back to back. Oh, my God. <laughs> but uh, anyway, uh, we hope you guys enjoyed this uh, episode of it. We really want to thank everyone for continuing to follow the show. And I think it's really incredible that we've done this uh, for 50 episodes. I think the other thing that's coming up that's a big milestone is we're just a few downloads away from uh, breaking 3,000 downloads all time. Oh, nice. Um, for the us. podcast. And I really can't thank our growing audience enough for that. Uh, I appreciate, you know, it makes us feel like what we're doing is, you know, it, besides just being fun for us to do, that it's actually <laughs> being consumed by other people. It gives us the motivation to continue doing it. So Yeah, because one thing I've learned in being a content creator is that if you create stuff for yourself, there will be people willing to check it out. <laughs> we have fun doing it, and we're just happy to see some people are having fun listening to it. So please continue to interact with us on social media, on IG. Um, if you have re- recommended movies for us to watch, we are going to work them into this year's schedule. Oh, someone already recommended Velocipaster on Amazon. I uh, fucking can't wait. Angel's going to mm. eat shit. It's going to be great. <laughs> or just send us reviews on iTunes. <laughs> <laughs> because we could definitely use more of those. So, uh, yeah, please continue to interact with us. Please continue to review the show. Please continue to spread the word about the podcast. And maybe we'll do something special when we break 3,000 downloads again. Uh, but we, I really appreciated being able to kind of stop and do this. And if you appreciate just the format of this episode and would like us to do more of these kinds of episodes where we just kind of give you a bite-sized review of all these movies... Uh, just let us know. It would be interesting. We'd love to continue to adjust 
uh, based on the taste of the people who follow the podcast as we well. We want to be the Chris Jericho podcasters, where we <laughs> reinvent ourselves every time. Where I'm going to be me, but with the business suit. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, we'll talk to you guys next time when we're talking James Bond again. Moonraker, baby! Oh, fuck! <laughs> Bye.